Hello and welcome everybody to the Ideas Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Oldani. I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Bella Winger. What up, Bella? Hi, Tony. Very excited to be here today. We've got a very spicy conversation today. It's a panel conversation. We have three wonderful guests, all of whom work at the John F. Kennedy School. We have Tamara Faber, Jenny Rick, and Andrea Radke. Which is perfectly in line with being episode three of our three-part series on mental health and academics at JFKS. Before we kick off this episode, we have a huge shout out to two patrons over at buymecoffee.com. Two wonderful donations, one of which came from Nashi and the other from Sarah Gross. Thank you so much for your contribution. If you like what we do and want to support the idea's mission, you can head over to buymeacoffee.com slash JFKSIdeas. Half our donations will be going to the LSVD, a Berlin-based LGBTQ plus rights advocacy group. So for today, our guests are, we'll begin with Jenny. Can you quickly describe your title and your role as a JFKS school counselor? Hi, I'm Jenny Rieck, and uh, I'm a school social worker since August this year. I used to work in Hort um, the last 10 years, so I'm very familiar with the community and the school. And my role, actually, my task is to help to create a um, good school climate. And I also do crisis work, one-on-one work with children, and child protection is one of my jobs also. And yeah, try to connect students and school with helpful organizations, for example. This is what I do. Andrea? Tony, um, I don't really have a job title per se, but I've been involved in running and building the learning support unit with my trusted student support team at the high school for the past six years. And essentially, my primary goal would lie in creating positive and enduring change for the individual students' learning skills and study habits. And last but not least, Tamara. Hi, I am the elementary school counselor at JFKS, and essentially I find that the majority of my work is in advocating for the mental health needs of all students. I do this through small and whole group work, one-on-one work, student and staff support through observation, feedback. Similar to Jenny, we work together on a crisis team and a child protection team, and again, referring families out to outside outside community resources. Thank you all so much, and thank you for joining us today. So you all work at the John F. Kennedy School, and you all work in different parts of the John F. Kennedy School. We sent out a survey to the JFKS student body discussing mental health and generally disabilities, and we gave you those survey results. I'm wondering what to you, from your different perspectives of your different professional roles, as well as the age groups that you work in, what stood out to you the most in these survey results? Tamara, can we start with you? Sure. Um, Considering that the survey was primarily about disabilities, I sort of put on my special education teacher hat uh, when looking at the results. What struck me was when students were asked to rate on a scale of one to five their understanding of specific 
disabilities, whether it was autism or ADHD or dyslexia, how their understanding was of what these disabilities meant. One being a a strong, thorough understanding and five being a weak understanding. And I have to say that I was surprised to see that roughly over 50% of the students for all of these disabilities indicated a strong understanding of them. And I think what surprises me about this is because having studied special education, having spent years of my life working with students that have either autism or ADHD or dyslexia, dyscalculia, it took that work to really gain a better understanding for me as a professional of what this meant. So I'm I'm concerned that there may or may not, but I really think there might be a false understanding of what these disabilities are and what it really means for the students that are experiencing life at JFK with them. So that was sort of my big takeaway. Thank you, Tamara. I um, would like to agree with you, or not like to, I definitely agree with you. That's the same take that I would have had out of the survey. I would like to maybe sort of only add to this that, um, yes, that there might be a misconception about the real understanding, but possibly also that would lead me to further think in terms of how the students are really able to support each other if they do have this understanding of these different um, mental disabilities or learning disabilities. And the other thing that would certainly come to me from the survey was that I do believe that there is certainly some room for improvement in nurturing a better understanding of the different mental and learning disabilities among students. I agree with Andrea. I had the feeling reading all those results that there is a discrepancy between the diagrams and the comments that have been made afterwards. I think there is absolutely room for improvement and also that it's necessary because on the diagrams we had more than 50% students that said they have the feeling they know about learning disabilities and that those are treated correctly Maybe that's the wrong wording, but that we as school do enough about it. And then reading through the comments, some of them really shocked me. Yeah, I think there is a gap between the actual idea of what a disability is if you ask all the students And then if you ask the students who really are affected because they have a learning disability, their comment is different. So I think there is much room for improvement. We see this discrepancy too, Jenny. That is part of the reason we wanted to have you three on today to parse through these exact discrepancies. We're wondering what you wish more people, particularly young people, those that you say you fear don't actually know a lot about mental health and disabilities, actually knew about disabilities ranging from depression to 
autism spectrum disorder to dyscalculia. Jenny? Thanks, Bella. I would wish for our students and not just our students, also teachers and probably parents to understand that most young people struggle with their self-image, but teenagers with a learning disability are especially at risk. They are aware that uh, they have more learning difficulties than their peers, which can lead to feelings of embarrassment, failure, low self-esteem, and worries about the future. And I think this not just goes with learning disabilities, but also for mental illnesses. I think talking about those differences can be very helpful for young people. And all those students are at risk of being underestimated in their abilities. And I think that kids with a learning disability, they have a deficit in a certain area, which doesn't mean they are not smart as someone else um, or that they don't put as much effort as someone else. But it's just not seen by maybe the teacher or their classmates, which makes it even harder to deal with the situation. And they may look like they are not making the effort when in fact they are overwhelmed with the situation. Yeah. I think children with a, to stay with a learning disability in this case, they just have a different processing of certain information which leads to a struggle. So this is the kind of understanding where I think this needs to be seen by the community and where we as a school can improve to support our students. Yeah, just helping them achieving the best they can, which doesn't mean achieve the highest academics they can, but also feel safe and yeah. First of all, thank you very much, Jenny, for your response, which I think is fantastic and just sums up a lot that I would fully agree with. And what I would like to maybe add to that, if I can, <laughs> is really um, yeah, the understanding of the actual disabilities is actually well, I don't actually think that it's necessary to have the detailed understanding of it, but I think it is important to have an understanding that there are um, differences. And um, because for me, it's essentially very important that a student with a disability is actually should not really be seen as um, having a, a, yeah, that it is something that is an illness or whatever, because it's not. And for me, it's more important to acknowledge that. And I think the students who are diagnosed are generally very okay with it because they had to understand and deal with um, with the the um, the diagnosis. And um, so, I think it's more important, as we have established earlier on, that the students should maybe like kind of have a more um, a better understanding and talk amongst each other and like Jenny was saying just now that the community the parents the teachers and the students um, are more aware of it because that um, for me essentially um, a disability is a primary fact 
it will become a secondary issue if we do not talk about it and if we are not aware of how to support a student with a disability. Once it becomes secondary for me, this is then where it becomes difficult because that often then leads to mental health issues for the student. Then it is much more difficult to support a student when this is not essentially the the issue, the initial issue. In the previous podcast, Tony had actually spoken about the invisible. Um, He'd mentioned the invisible disabilities. And um, for me, I would very much like to see invisible disabilities not as a hindrance, but rather as encouragement to build, amongst other, the individual self-confidence and motivation by self-advocating for required needs. Um, Assisting to build a person with individualized strategies may help preventing a student from falling prey to having to experience unnecessary stresses and anxieties, directly or indirectly. Um, And also for me, um, yeah, what would be my wish? I think you had asked for that as well. My wish and hope would be for more people to simply acknowledge and respect that everyone is different with varying strengths and weaknesses. It's in these differences that we find a wonderful uniqueness in every human being. And I always find just because we can't always see mental or learning disabilities as opposed to someone wearing glasses or using a wheelchair, it is with the right sense of mindfulness that we can sense a need of support or required understanding from someone who can assist. Thank you, Jenny and Andrea. I think what both of you said goes really hand in hand actually with the first question we asked you about survey results and your main takeaways because just now you were talking about how you really think it's a priority to destigmatize these invisible disabilities and before that you were saying that you worry that especially young people don't actually have a correct idea of what these invisible disabilities are and what they mean so First off, at least to me, it seems that in order to destigmatize them, people have to actually understand what they are and what they mean. How do you suggest people learn about these and inform themselves correctly about these learning disabilities or just invisible disabilities in general? Tamara? Yeah, I think actually it would lend itself to a follow-up in which you provide the students an opportunity to actually indicate what their belief is about what the issues are behind things like autism or ADHD or depression or dyscalculia. And then using that data, provide them actually with explicit definitions about what these are and how we can better support these students at our school. Thank you, Tamara. Let's dive into some more specifics because in the beginning of this question, we sort of gave a range of different invisible disabilities. Could you dive into specifically ADHD and what you wish people knew about it or what more you wish people would know about it? Sure. Thanks, Bella. So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Many kids identified with ADHD might only have ADD, which is now considered ADHD inattentive. So they are not 
hyperactive, but they have a really difficult time focusing on tasks that are uninteresting. What I learned or what I assumed I knew about ADHD early on was that it was the inability to pay attention. While some of that is true, the incredible part is that when students identified with ADHD are engaging in something that they're highly motivating, motivated with or they find really engaging, they could hyperfocus. And they could spend hours and hours engaging in whatever it is that they find so interesting. So it's not that a student is necessarily lazy when they are uninterested. It's just really hard for their brain to make these connections and to keep them engaged. And I watched this TED Talk, and I'll send the link to you later, by a gentleman, I believe his name is Stephen Tontine. He gave a TED Talk about ADHD um, at his university. And he gave some really incredible examples of some highly recognizable people or people that have really great jobs doing incredibly challenging tasks. For example, the CEO of, I believe it's JetBlue Airlines, he explained that for him, it was way more complicated for him to get through a tax bill than it was to plan a flight route landing scheme for one of the largest airports in the United States. So when he's interested in something, or this particular person is interested in something, they can focus and get the job done way better than a typically developing mind. But when it's something that they're not interested in, it can be daunting. Um, and I think that's really something that I wish more people knew about ADHD. It really comes down to motivation. Andrea, did you want to add to Tamara's? statement i would just like to add to that because it actually follows your strength-based model that you were talking about earlier on because this is something that i would very much focus on um, when working with my students that i actually really try and find their strengths and weaknesses so that that what is of interest to them that they can actually work with that something that can motivate them as well so that they can see that they are doing well in. So that is just something that I wanted to add to that, especially for, for the students with the ADHD. So especially being at the John F. Kennedy School, which is known to be such a high-performing school, where even people who don't have mental disabilities have a really hard time getting by, I can only imagine how hard it must be to have a learning disability such as ADHD. So really my question to you all is, what do you think people who have learning disabilities can do to help themselves and work their way through this culture of stress at our school? Tony, you were talking about this culture of stress, especially in high school, and this is something we experience too, and we is the support team. We have a lot of students coming in, seeing us because they are struggling right now with all the academic performances. And it's really an interesting question what to do about it because it's part of the school. So we are a very academic school which is fantastic on one hand because we have students who who can adapt and who really thrive in this environment. But we also have students that right now have the feeling it's a lot. 
And I, I think it's been last week, I had a conversation with a seventh grader and she was looking very tired. And I asked her if she didn't sleep. And she told me, I just slept five hours because I'm writing a test next week. So she was so scared that she's not meeting expectations that she was crazy about this test and learning. And this made her not sleep. And I was kind of shocked, to be honest, because if we have students already in seventh grade experiencing that it's so much they need to do to be good in school, then we have to have a look on the whole system. And I have no perfect answer uh, what we can do about it. But I think first step is being aware and being in discussion. We as a support team with the students, but also we as a support team with teachers, students amongst each other, yeah, just brainstorm and whenever it's possible to try to find ways to, now it's going to be Denglisch, das System ein wenig mehr aufzulockern, da wo es möglich ist, um kleine Fluchten zu schaffen. I hope everyone can understand what I mean. It's a big topic for us, uh, also in the school social work, so means also with my direct co-worker, Frau Böhm-Würth. And uh, we are discussing this a lot and we try to find ways to support the students in a better way. We are always happy for input, especially of the students. Yeah, we're here for you. And this is what I can say and what I can offer. Thank you, Jenny. Andrea, you also work with a lot of kids who grapple with academic stress. How do you navigate their levels of academic stress and how to cope with them? Thank you, Bella. First of all, I would um, like to um, say thank you to Jenny. Um, yes, we are in a lot of dialogue about this at school. This is a crucial thing for me, dialogue. That needs to be an open dialogue on all levels. And further than that, with my students, again, I would um, try and look, going back again to their weaknesses or to their strengths and weaknesses, to be on the positive side, to um, establish their individual learning styles that work for them. That's why for me, essentially, yes, we're always talking about organizational and time management skills, but every student is individual, very much so, and as such should also be seen as that. And that would lead me to their individual learning styles. But I would take this further and I would like to see from the teaching point of view that there would be not only acknowledgement of different learning styles, but even further than that the individual teaching methods of differentiation at the school. I think this is essentially would be quite important for me, hopefully, to bring the these cultural stresses um, down. Because I think if we don't um, manage the, the cultural stresses in the current um, climate, obviously, anyway, it will be very difficult to achieve any academic achievements of high performance. That would be my, my take on this. I think that's really important, and I think it seems to be a common theme that there just needs to be more dialogue on these invisible disabilities. 
It seems like it would be the foundation for dealing with any of these invisible disabilities and learning about them more. But that being said, even with this dialogue, beyond talking about it, what other tools can students maybe individually, independently develop that might help them in a time where they feel academically overwhelmed? Jenny? Now this is actually one of Andrea's resorts, but what can help the individual is to have a look on their schedule and see where can things be maybe better organized and then prioritized too. So that you focus on the things you really have to do, for example, this week you're in, and try to organize your schedule in a way that it makes sense. If you just work right now for things ahead in two weeks, then this causes maybe stress, which means try to take things if it's possible. It's not always possible, but if, take things one at a time. Because if you try to do a lot of things at the same time, speaking of multitasking, then you never do one thing really good because doing one thing, you have the other thing already in mind. So this is something you can do. Try to work with students on their schedule and how they structure and organize their learning. If someone really has an anxiety, then we try to give them strategies to calm down. This can be breathing techniques. This can be meditation. Sometimes those coping strategies are not enough and it needs professional outside resources. This is something we can also do to connect students and families to more professional help in the certain area they need it. So at the elementary level, we're dealing with stress at a whole different level post-COVID. When we saw kids coming back to school, they were relearning how to be part of a classroom community. And for our younger students, that sometimes meant how to appropriately insert themselves into play, how to share and take turns for some of our older students, just how to ask for help. I think uh, teachers were really good at the beginning about taking time to reteach these routines. I think we need more of that. When kids fall out of routine, stress and anxiety builds naturally. One of the things that I do individually or in small groups is we work to build sort of like a toolbox of coping skills. Um, and it could be anything from getting a physical break Let's see if we need to get up and the teacher can ask you to go bring a book from one class to the other. Get kids moving. It could be anything. Wall push-ups. Go up and down the stairs three times. I'll see you in a few minutes. Writing, drawing, taking those doodle breaks and encouraging them. Having a space and a vocabulary to talk about how you're feeling. I think also it's really important to make sure that kids of all ages are making time for non-academic interests. When kids are feeling successful with something, whether it's building with Legos or whether it's climbing at the gym, they will research shows that they will then do better overall. 
But if they're really having little success anywhere, that follows them too. So encouraging those opportunities to engage in things that they love and that they're good at is really important. And I always say laughter is the best medicine. As often as we can find time to laugh about anything, do it. And beyond, obviously, it's extremely important to find those outlets. Do you think that the school plays a big role in providing those outlets for students, those opportunities that go beyond sitting in the classroom? And what else do you think the school could do to foster a more healthy conversation and a more fruitful marketplace of ideas around mental health? You know, we have some teachers that are really implementing these incredible journaling opportunities. They take time every day to say, you know what, we're going to just write and here's the prompt for today. And it could be anything like, how do I feel about change and how, how can I turn change into opportunity? Go. Or they can talk about positive body image. Write about something that you're thankful for about your body. And it's just as giving kids a time to check out <laughs> of what it is that they're focusing on academically. And they're just tuning in with themselves. How do they process? How do they help themselves? Um, and in terms of what the school offers, you know, I think there are, are so many activities after school, on the weekends, sports clubs. Unfortunately, COVID put a damper on that for many, many months for many kids. But it's great to see that all kind of up and going again. So I think there's always room for improvement, but I think JFK actually is a really great place to be and fosters a lot of opportunity for kids to grow in ways that they wouldn't have had opportunities to do elsewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys, that we are doing this podcast right now and that there is this amazing ideas group shows that we are on the right track. And that we together as a community can and should push those important topics forward. And I think we do it. And I know, for example, that the Ideas Group also went into elementary school several times and talked to students. I know there was the Mental Health Day, I guess, where you just went in and you talked with uh, lower elementary kids. And I think this kind of work Uh, together, um, being aware of those very important topics. Yeah, this is fantastic and we need more of this and you should keep doing this and we need to keep doing this. Yeah, like Tamara said, JFKS is a fantastic place to be. We still can improve and uh, I believe we will. Thank you so much for your kind words, Jenny. And in return, we would like to offer all three of you the opportunity to provide an endorsement. This is a tradition on the Ideas podcast that each of our guests gets to share a resource that they have been enjoying that they think our listeners would too. And since you do such important work at the school, I think it's really important that, and it would be extremely helpful if you could preface your endorsement by letting the students know where they can find you at JFK because a lot of people know the good works you do, but I imagine a lot of, a lot of people don't. And we want people to know that you're there to help them if they need you. So we can start with Andrea. 
Well, first of all, you can find me in the Blue Building in the room B222. Um, but I'm also always available by email. And I don't know how you would like me to do it. It's Andrea Ratke, Andrea.R-A-T-H-K-E at the JFK email. And I would be so happy um, to receive you in helping you forward in your journey and in that kind of building your wonderful strengths that you have and that you may sometimes not be aware of that we could be working together with. Just sort of as a little take here, um, I actually just saw this earlier on this afternoon. I thought it was quite a lovely analogy that about an orchestra. And when we talk about my side of the field in developing the executive functions, this was put down as the executive functions are like a director of an orchestra where each musician alone can delight us with a beautiful melody. But it is the director who manages to join together to obtain the expected result. And I think it is so important for all of us to know that we have strengths and that we have weaknesses and that we can produce beautiful melodies. And sometimes we need the help to put them together. And that is something that I would wish everybody to strive for. And that brings me to another one that, especially when things are really difficult, which I think they are at the moment for pretty everybody, start by just simply doing what's necessary and then do what's possible. And suddenly you're going to find you are doing the impossible. Until the White House is completed, you can find me in the elementary school, GR204, I think, or by email. And even all my old high school buddies, please feel free to come visit and say hi. For my endorsement, I'm going to stick with the Big Life Journal. I'll, I'll send the email or the link for the website soon. They offer journals for kids as young as six and go into tweens and teens they have growth mindset conversation cards. They have printable kits that can be done at home for growth mindset, resiliency, facing challenges. And if you sign up for their email, you will receive free activities every Friday to do at home with your kids. So that's my endorsement. So you can also find me in the blue building. It's in B203. And you can also reach me via the school email, which is jennifer.riecK and then the rest of the JFKS email. What I brought, and this uh, goes out to the digital generation, so there is another podcast, which is pretty cool, I guess, but it's, <laughs> it's in German. Um, it's called Cosmo Danke Gut. And the moderator, she meets artists and they talk about pop and soul, actually. And soul means Psyche auf Deutsch, also psychologische Themen mit Künstlern besprochen. And the actual, the actual episode is with uh, Clouseau, which is pretty much known I and guess. I think this is for for interested young people not also in music but also in mental illness topics and I have a different one to add it's called Psychologique 
And this is a YouTube channel from a psychologist. And she explains in YouTube tutorials mental illnesses and uses easy phrases so that everyone can understand what she's talking about. Just adding, if you are or one of the students you know need help in terms of a crisis, you can also reach out to us. We have a lot of flyers. We know a lot of organizations where we can provide help also outside the school. So if you feel there is a need, don't hesitate to contact contact us. And if it's just for a cup of tea, which I can offer, and a smile and a chat, you're very welcome in B203. Thank you. Well, thank you all for being here and thank you for those endorsements. We'll link to those in the show notes. And that's a wrap on our three-part series on mental health. Thank you so much for your support and thank you to our wonderful guests throughout this journey. Once again, we'd like to show our gratitude to Jill and Julia over at Bear Radio for being our partners throughout this. And we would also like to extend our gratitude to the Fa'ain who donated the microphones that made this episode possible and the Ideas podcast overall. And we would also like to extend our wholehearted gratitude to Buck Chisholm, an integral member of the JFK's community and JFK's Fa'ain, who passed away recently. His commitment to the community was second to none. His dedication to the Fa'ain was unforgettable. On behalf of the Ideas Club, may he rest in peace.